Well, on the screen is a, a picture of a sad day in history, 1856, on the floor of the United States Senate. Congressman Preston Brooks was upset at a speech that Charles Sumner gave about the direction of the country. And Preston Brooks took a cane, walked up behind Charles Sumner and hit him with the cane, knocked him to the ground. And then Brooks began to beat Senator Sumner with the cane until Sumner was unconscious and the cane was shattered into many, many pieces. Stranger still, there were other people on the Senate floor. They simply stood there and watched what happened. Brooks never did apologize. In fact, after this event, both men became very famous. The speech that Senator Charles Sumner gave, copied over a million times, and Congressman Preston Brooks, the pieces of the cane on the floor were sold as souvenirs, and throughout the rest of his life at Christmas, he received countless canes in the mail from his supporters. We are in a time in our culture right now where things are certainly divided as well. And we're going to look at some things in honest discussions uh, about where things are going, but more so discussions about what we can do in a time such as this. So let's start with 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus gave us everything we need to live life just like him. We have all his divine power working in us, in you and in me, the same power that raised him from the dead, actively working in your life and in my life so that we can live godly and live just like Jesus. Here's a question for each of us in this time from Tony Robbins, though. Who do you want to be at the end of the year? Because this too shall pass as it always does. What we're looking at today we're going to look at some things in history. You know, there's there's the virus, there's the division, but, you know, this stuff will pass. And we're going to see something from history in just a moment that shows that things like this, they happen and they pass. And the question is, who do you want to be at the end of this year? You know, you can get through anything today as long as tomorrow is compelling enough. And if people think, you know, tomorrow is just a negative thing, they're not going to do much to, to change their life. But if we stop and say, listen, I know Christ and his divine power works in those who believe in him so that they can live a life of godliness and change the world around them, then there's your compelling future that you can know in him you have victory. You can study some works by uh, Roy Williams and Strauss and Howe. They do a fascinating study going back 2,000 years of countries, and essentially what their studies show is that every culture goes through an 80-year cycle. And essentially, it's 20 years in a winter cycle, then a spring cycle, a summer cycle, and then a fall cycle. And the reality is that, uh, you know, many people might think we're in a winter cycle. It's probably too early to tell that right now. But we understand winter, you know, people get dreary, things slow down, and things are dying in the crops and things like that. And so winter is kind of a gloomy time. But even if we are in winter, you know, some people, they ski in winter, and it's their favorite season. It's all about how we approach things. And winter might be a slowing of the economy, but you know what, after winter, there's always spring. And that's the point of their studies. Cultures that go through a winter time where the economy drops, unemployment raises, division, there's always a spring after winter. And spring, we know, is a time of renewing. It's a time of freshness. It's a time of being reborn. Following spring, there's summer where people take it easy and they enjoy the fruits of their labor. 
for that spring, you know, during that summertime. And then fall is a time to slow down and contemplate and prepare for, you know, what's going to take place next in the new winter. But again, we go through these cycles every 80 years. And so the point of their study is since there is this cycle shown through 2000 years, the main point is to recognize these cycles are there. So we stop and say life is not random. It continues to have these cycles so that we might recognize there's somebody directing history. And when we stop and say that God is the one moving history, then it calls us even more to believe and trust in him. But again, even if you're in a winter in your own personal life, you can understand that, you know, spring always follows after winter. And that's the main point of their study. There's downswings, but there's upswings and nothing continues to last. And again, this too shall pass. The point of the question, though, is to stop and say, where do you want to be, you know, at the end of this year? There might be a time of winter right now. Again, too early to tell, but spring follows after winter. And if we're ready for that, living for a compelling future, saying Jesus gives me everything I need to live godly in him, that changes everything. As we often say, you know, defy the verdict. Mike Bell shares it like this. Don't drop your head in doubt when you get a negative report. Look up and acknowledge who is the ultimate decider of your life. In a minute, I'll give you a simple tool that you can use for your own life to, to see more of what Peter is talking about in your life, your relationships, in those around you. Before that, though, let's look at some statistics that don't come up on the news, and maybe we'll see why that is. Let's talk about homelessness for a moment. Homelessness worldwide, the average in most countries is 20% of the population. The United States... The homeless population, it's 0.1%. Doesn't mean that we don't want it to be zero, but why don't you hear things like this on the news? We'll see why here in just a moment. Homicide rate today, it's half of what it was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, school shootings, they make the news. They're, they're terrible, and we want them to be zero, but the reality is today school shootings are down 75% from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. There were four times more shootings in schools in the 90s. Again, there's still work to do, but there's progress that is made when we stop and see the bigger picture instead of what's being put out as all the negative stuff and stop and see, you know what, God is the one in control and what is happening next in our life and in our world. And when this winter's done, spring is going to be there. And for those who are ready for that, what is it you want your life to look like when we enter into that spring? Peter continues, 2 Peter chapter 1, he gives a, a list here to stop and say, if you are looking to say, how do I know I'm living in Christ and his godliness, his power in me? He said, here's a list of things that ought to be evident in your life. Peter goes on and says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. Each of us can stop and say on a scale of 1 to 10 to say, you know, 1, not at all, and 10, I'm filled, I'm filled in that area. You can stop and say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much goodness do you exude in your life? How much self-control? How much perseverance? How much godliness? How much kindness and love? And where those areas fall short, it's a place to begin to pray. You know, God, give me more of that perseverance and that godliness in my life. So let's talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a verse to keep in mind at all times, every moment, every day. This is Paul speaking. He says, lest Satan get an advantage of us, 
we are not ignorant of his devices. When people stop and say, why are things chaotic? You know, these are spiritual issues. When there's division at its heart, these are spiritual issues. When things seem out of control at the heart is spiritual issues. We are not ignorant of his devices. As Paul would say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. These are spiritual battles that take place. And for us to be in the, the picture here where Peter says, you know what? His divine power has given me everything to live victorious in life. And I'm not ignorant of what Satan is up to. And because of that, then we can shine the light of Christ into the darkness and, and see the changes that need to happen. You know, we've talked about China before. The underground church in China is experiencing revival, perhaps the, the biggest in history. We don't know the numbers because it's underground because of persecution. Sharing your faith in China is frowned upon and at places you're not allowed to do it at all. Some estimates, the underground church that meets in caves, you know, it may be 100 to 200 million people. It's, it's massive. But in the public arena, you might have seen on the news here the last few weeks, here's two headlines. China crosses higher than the national flag removed from churches. Here's another one says the same thing. China is taking crosses off of churches. And why is that? Because the government, they said, you know, these crosses, they are too eye-catching and attract people to the churches. And they don't want people going to the churches. They want people to depend on the government and look to them. We are not ignorant of the devil's devices. When you see the things happening in our world today, what do people need? Men and women in Christ to, to bring the light of the gospel into the dark places. In fact, Peter continues and he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, again, things like faith and goodness and knowledge, self-control, he says they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your life. Nobody wants to have an ineffective or unproductive life. And Peter says, here's what an ineffective and unproductive life looks like. It's the opposite of all those things he just mentioned. So if you want to be ineffective and unproductive, he says that looks like hate. Looks like cruelty. Looks like sin. Looks like weakness. Selfishness. We want to stop and say, you know what? I want to be different in life. I want to reflect Christ and the promises he's given us his power that we can live in him. You know, Tim Ferriss shares well, what we fear doing most is usually what we most need to do. So let me give you a tool that might help. In fact, I'm sure it will help if you simply use it. And some of those things we fear maybe doing, maybe it's a conversation or a phone call or stepping out in faith in something new. Here's a tool that can change all of that. And, and I invite you to, to write these things down here today. It's just four simple lines. And this is known as the Ho Open Nopano Prayer from Hawaii. And Joe Vitale and Tony Robbins have shared this, but there was a, a therapist in Hawaii that, that uncovered this ancient prayer and he's used it. And he said, you know, I've seen mental health patients. They, they've been healed. Relationships restored. Addicts set free. I'll give you the, the, the simple lines here, and then I'll explain the, the point of what the prayer is about and, and why it's so effective and how you can use it in your life. And so it's four simple lines. The first one, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. 
And this is something you can do and as, as an individual or for couples. It's very powerful, especially if you're, you know, heading for a divorce or just having, you know, a toxic relationship. But you can do this as a, as a family, as a couple. You can do this as an individual. Say it out loud. Just think it in your thoughts. But let me give an example of what this could look like for a couple. So you have a husband and wife and they're arguing and they're trying to say, you know what, I'm right and you're wrong. I just need you to be convinced that I'm correct and admit that you are the one at fault and this fighting goes back and forth and nothing gets solved. Here's how the prayer works. Each person, you just look at your partner in their eyes and you say the prayer through one time each and then two times each and then three times. Three times. Takes you less than five minutes. But here's what it looks like. Instead of the arguing, you know, I'm right and you're wrong and remember what you did, it looks like this. You just simply say, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Go back to where we started, Congressman Preston Brooks with the cane beating Senator Charles Sumner. Again, the fight was over something that Sumner said in a speech Brooks disagreed with. So he beat him with a cane. People continue to fight. How much different would things look? Instead of the division, instead of trying to convince who's right and who's wrong, People began to recognize the power of Christ working in them and saying, I want more of what Peter says is there for me an increase, self-control, goodness, kindness. Instead of divisions in families and broken marriages and division in the country, people stopped and said, listen, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. This can also be a, a prayer to God. You know, the I love you can be stating to somebody else, I love you, or to God, I love you. The I'm sorry can be, you know what, I'm sorry for something I've done, or simply I'm sorry that you're in pain. The please forgive me is just saying, you know what? doesn't matter who is right or wrong. And the thank you is to simply say, God, his grace is greater than all our sin. Troy Burst said it like this, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for salvation, but for transformation. It may be slow and gradual, but the difference might look like this. You can take 10 gallons of gasoline and release a tremendous amount of power and energy by just dropping a lighted match into it. It'll make a dramatic one-time impact. But there's another way to release the energy in that gasoline. Place it in a fuel tank of a new Honda designed to get 30 miles to the gallon. And then a high-tech engine will use that 10 gallons of gasoline and take a person 300 miles or more. Explosions may be spectacular, but the sustained control burn has staying power. You don't want to be a flash in the pan. You want to make a difference in the world over time. 
You want to last for the long haul. You don't want the Holy Spirit to just save you for heaven. You want him to use you to transform your life. You want him to use you in this world for kingdom purposes. All those promises are, are there for, for you, for me. And, and maybe it's time to just slow down and, and to stop and say, listen, we are not ignorant of the devices that Satan uses. You can see evidence all around. But the promises God has given us in Christ, all that we need, everything we need for life and godliness through knowing Jesus. And winter is followed by spring. Seasons change. This too shall pass. And the question is, who do you want to be at the end of this year? What is the compelling future that you look forward to? There's a gentleman, his name is Clyde Thompson. He passed away in 1979. But he earned the title the meanest man in Texas. In 1919, Clyde Thompson was 17 years old. His father was a Bible salesman, but Clyde was this angry, angry person. And for unknown reasons, one day he killed a man. And he became the youngest person on death row in Texas. He was a radio preacher and he wrote to him and said, Would you baptize me before my day of execution? That minister did that very thing. And when the date arrived, Clyde Thompson was given a stay of execution. He was taken off death row, put into a regular prison, walked away from his faith, got in all sorts of fights, tried to escape at different times. He was shot trying to escape. Back in the prison, he killed two more people. It was at that point the governor gave him the title, the meanest man in Texas. Put back on death row. They didn't know what to do with him, so they put him in isolation for two months. He asked for something to read. They gave him a Bible, and he laughed. He said, I'll spend the next two months reading this, tearing it apart. As he sat in an isolation cell on death row, Reading a Bible, instead of laughing, he began to weep. Before long, he surrendered his life to Christ. When the two months were up, he was back on death row. He asked to start a Bible study. Over the next several months, he would baptize eight men on death row. His life was so completely changed that he was released from prison. He walked out of the Texas prison after serving 28 years. First thing he did is he went to a local jail and said, I'd like to start a chaplain program here. Spent the rest of his life telling other inmates how the meanest man in Texas was transformed, set free. He lived what Peter says next as we finish with Second Peter Chapter 1, where Peter says, If anybody does not have these things, the self-control and the goodness and the love, Peter says he's blind and has forgotten he has been cleansed from sin. 
you know, our compelling future future is already set in place because we simply say, I'll never forget that he has cleansed me from sin. I'll never forget what he has done for me. And maybe it's time to simply say to somebody, you know what? I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Because all this division and all this chaos, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We don't want to be a flash in the pan. We want to be people that are serving God and used by him to transform the world, being the salt and the light he's called us to be. And if he can take a person like Clyde Thompson, the meanest man in Texas, and turn him into an evangelist, what do you think he can do for your life, for my life, no matter what we might be facing? Love this story shared by David C. Cook. I'll just read what he wrote. But he simply shares, there was a young girl who accepted Jesus as her savior and applied for membership in a local church. Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Asked a deacon. Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? The deacon asked. To tell you the truth, replied the young girl, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Taken aback, the deacon then responded, then what real change have you experienced? To which the girl replied, I don't quite know how to explain it, except I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. He has given us all things, everything we need for life and godliness through Christ. Don't drop your head in doubt. Look up and acknowledge who is the ultimate decider of your life.